0: Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. But, uh, if you were with us last week, I shared where we are as a tipping point, the tipping point of truth and uh in looking at that passage and in that message it really was dealing with the Lord's return the the rapture of the church and i'm i'm kind of excited about that amen um, i i don't walk around in fear of him coming I, look, I i walk around excited i'm waiting i'm not looking for signs friends i'm listening for a sound amen i believe that it won't be long and and i'm sincere when i say that and when i when i Finish that message, uh, the Lord began to really pique my interest towards another area, and I want to call this message uh, Israel at the Tipping Point. If, if I were to give a subtitle or title this in, in a series, I would call it the imminent prophetic events that trigger the end of the age. I really believe that we're very close to Jesus' turn, coming back. Um, as, as I said last week, we talked about... Truth at a tipping point. We see so many challenges in our world today. Uh, right is no longer right. Hello? Uh, as a believer, we're considered a hate group. Seriously. It's a, it's a, it's a backward world that we live in. Um, but looking at all of that, the central figure in God's timetable, the central figure in all of God's dealings with the end of the age, is Israel. And and we can't get away from that. It's it's so powerful. It's so profound. And I truly believe we're not just living at the end of time. We're living at the end of the end times. I really seriously believe that. I'm not sitting here to set dates. I'm not saying any of that to make us fearful. Really, I'm saying that to, to bring comfort. God is in control. Amen? He truly is. Let me give you the definition of a tipping point. The critical point in a situation, process, or system beyond which a significant and often unstoppable effect or change takes place. And when I begin to look at our world in so many different dimensions, whether it become the issue of truth, whether it's the issue of Israel, whether it's the issue of morality, and you could go on. I mean, there are several different messages I could bring just in this particular realm, it it appears that we're at that precipice moment where I'm not so certain that we can stop or change the effects that have already begun. Does that make sense? Uh, What we see in our world today is that we have come to a point where we can't go back. There's some places I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to outside toilets. Hello? Hello? I'm not sure I want to go back to clotheslines. I, I kind of like my clothes fluffed up and nice. My, my mother-in-law, she used a clothes, clothes, clothesline most of my life knowing her. She was 89 when she passed or almost 89 when she passed. And I remember she washed some of my clothes and she hung them out on the line. And I'm not kidding. When I put them on, they were a little bit... You know how many of you? I thank God for I thank God for dryer sheets. (laughs) Amen. There's just a few things that I want to go back to, but there are things in our world, morally, ethically, politically, I don't know that we can go back. Uh, When I think of Israel and the Middle East, is it's been in conflict ever since it began in 1948 when Israel was declared a, a state, a nation state. Conflict began. The day Ben-Gurion declared statehood, the next day, the Arab world around it invaded. It's been in constant turmoil, constant conflict. We have debt increase. We, we just saw Congress again increase by $4 trillion, our debt. That's amazing. I'm more concerned about debt than I am terrorism. Amen. I'll say "Amen" real loud on that one. Uh, we're over twenty trillion in debt. That's just overwhelming. Uh, moral degeneration. I mean, it's everywhere. You see it everywhere you look. The rise of radical Islam. It's interesting. I listened to a concept yesterday, or a thing yesterday, that that a group put on a a a, a Christian uh, YouTube video, and it was taken down and censored because. It was considered somewhat hate speech. They turned around and qualified it and called it a Muslim outreach, and the same thing was allowed on YouTube. There's, there's a hate toward Christianity in our world today, and there is this whatever toward Islam. It is a terrorist organization. The Bible talks about all of this in reference to the end days. It talks about these types of things happening exponentially in the last days. And here's an amazing fact. How many of you have a Bible? I want you to hold it for just a second. There's one in the pew ahead of you. I want you to grab that Bible. Hold it up. 30% of what's in this book is prophetic. 30% of what you will find in this Bible speaks about things and events to come. Now, that's remarkable because you cannot find that in the Quran. You cannot find that in any of the writings of of Hinduism or Confucianism or Buddhism. You can't find that in any other book. It's amazing to me. Uh, The thing that I love about the Bible is that God is telling us about the future. Now, think about that. The only one who can foretell the future is the one that controls it. The only one that can foretell the future is the one that controls it. And I'm so grateful and confident that he is still in control. Amen. Amen. Uh, One of the most significant events is in, in all of those prophecies relates to Israel in the last days. And, and just the very mere existence of Israel, the very fact that it exists, the fact that it is in, in, in a being, if you will, coincides with, one, the, the very existence of God himself, and secondly, God created Israel. It's the only nation in the world that is created, produced by God himself. Is that a surprise? You know, it's interesting that in A.D. 70, Titus would come into the city of Jerusalem and he destroyed it, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city. The Jews were diasporatically scattered literally across the world. And Israel, as we would know, a nation ceased at that moment. And it's been scattered for the last two millenniums across the world. 2,000 years after that diaspora, in May of 1948, in one day, Israel was reborn as a nation. In one day, in one 24-hour period. Yes, there were events leading up to it. There were people talking and there were people organizing. But in one day, it came back into existence. And when I look at that, it's interesting because the fulfillment of biblical prophecy about the end days has everything to do with the centrality of Israel in the midst of all of that. In God's timetable, the end began when Israel became a nation once again. That's, I'll say amen all by myself. <laughs> they, they had to exist. Listen to me. Israel had to exist as a nation For prophecy in the Bible to be fulfilled out of Daniel and both Revelation, Matthew and Luke. Y'all understand that? So let's talk about a few facts about Israel. First of all, they're the only nation created by God. Did you hear that? They're the only nation created by God. Listen to Genesis. It says, Now the Lord... The Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. This is God speaking, first person speaking to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How in the world will they be blessed? We'll talk about that in just a moment. This is the beginning point of the Jews and Israel as a people and as a nation. Secondly, they are an everlasting covenant with God. In Genesis 17, it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram. But now your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants after you, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be god To you and your descendants after you also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. Listen to me. The land that is occupied by Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, all the way into Iraq and Iran was initially given by God to his people, Israel. It did not belong to the United Nations or the League of Nations or the Arab States. It belongs because God created it, God owned it, and still does, and he gave it to the land of Israel. It's a covenant. A covenant is more than a contract. A covenant is not just simply... You, get you doing the minimal amount for the most, it's a covenant that says you will do the most even with the least. God gave covenant to Abraham. He gave covenant with his children. He said, I am making a covenant that I will keep forever with my people. Israel is both the people and the land. And when we begin to understand the the significance of the Jews and of Israel, you cannot have one without the other. When God speaks of Israel, he's always speaking about one, the land, and he's speaking about the people. They're a special covenant, a special covenant that that has been given by God. Now, let me share with you something. A Jew has to come to Jesus Christ just as you and I to be saved. Y'all understand that? But God has a special covenant with his people that he protects them, he will guide them. They still have to come to a saving faith in Jesus, but there is something unique about the covenant relationship he has made with them. Thirdly, Israel and the Jews have blessed the world more than any nation in the world. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How have we been blessed by Israel? Israel gave us the most important human in human history. Israel gave us Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. There's no possible way a true believer, there's no way a true believer can be an anti-Semite. Because Jesus is Jewish. And if you have a problem with that, you better repent and get over it. Amen. Secondly, Israel gave us the Holy Bible. Every author in this book was Jewish. Hello? Everything spoken was spoken through a Jewish mind. The Holy Spirit spoke through the minds of Jewish men and women. And we have this book, the Bible, as a direct result. It is a gift from God through Israel as a people. And thirdly, God gave us the church through the Jewish people. You are aware that the church that happened in Acts chapter 2, when on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of the Lord came and fell upon the people... That that day, there were 3,000 people saved. People came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And guess what? They were, every one of them, Jewish. The first pastors of those churches were Jewish. The first board members of those churches were Jewish. The first congregational members were, were Jewish. The first apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were Jewish. The first church was a Jewish church. Hallelujah. So through the nation of Israel, we have the greatest person ever given, a Savior born through a Jewish race. We have the Bible given to us by Jewish authors, authored by the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon them to give us the book. And the church itself traces its origin back to Judaism. (laughs) No wonder, he says, and every generation will be blessed. Fourthly, Israel is God's prophetic super sign, uh, if you will, and stopwatch for our world. There have been cosmic events that the Bible predicted and have occurred in our day in which we live. And when I first started reading some of this, I thought, Lord, I, I don't understand all of that. It's a little above my pay grade. But when I began to really dig into it, I began to find something that's rather intriguing. I don't think that there are coincidences in the Bible. Hello? I don't think that you can say, well, that just has a coincidence. No, I don't believe that. I believe that God ordains, he establishes, and he provides unique and specific moments in our lives. Joel chapter 2 speaks about this. This, this particular point, it says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's speaking about a total lunar eclipse is really what that's speaking about. And it shall come to pass through whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls... Chapter 3, verse 1, For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is Jehoshaphat, the, 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 the translation of that name means the Lord will judge. And I will enter into judgment with them There, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. There are four things that I see in this passage of Scripture. First of all, Israel's rebirth in 1948. The regathering of the Jews from every nation. uh, Every nation. Chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem... It's interesting, some notable theologians believe that the regathering of the Jews when they come back in this last day, at the time they regather, they come together, the time that Israel is reformed as a nation, at the same, in the same time frame, judgment will occur. So when Israel has been declared a nation, God's judgment will happen within the same period. It's rather intriguing, but hold steady. I, you you kind of get a glazed look. Just hold hold on here. <laughs> he said, when I bring back my people, I'm going to enter into judgment as well. When I bring Israel as a nation together in the same fell swoop, judgment will happen. That's not going to happen in 1948, but in the same time span of time, it's going to happen. He secondly says, there will be the dividing of the land. They have divided up my land. Verse chapter three, the latter part, says, it's interesting that the UN has censored Israel more than any nation in its charter. Think about that. They have been labeled as a racist nation. The UN is clearly opposed to Israel. What I find so hard to comprehend are some of the most blatantly violent nations, especially those that have atrocities towards human rights, are on the Human Rights Council of the United Nations. Now, tell me how brilliant that is. Okay. The point of what I'm trying to say is the United Nations, and listen to me, and the United States forced Israel to give up land for peace. And this has done was done, it, it, it was, it's unique to me that all of this done to provide Hamas and Hezbollah a place where they can lodge their missiles into Israel. Under the Bush administration in 2005, the United States forced Israel out of the land, of, land in the Gaza Strip and gave that to the Palestinians. Coincidence. Seven days later, Hurricane Katrina came across the Gulf Shores. Many rabbis believe seriously that, that God's judgment was forced on America through Hurricane Katrina because of what they did to Israel. I'm not here to say yes or no. I'm here to only tell you that interesting coincidence, huh? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. They have divided up my land. As we speak, the United Nations and the U.S. are attempting to force a two-state solution to to, to the Middle East. Now, what does that mean? It means that you have a sovereign nation called Israel, and you're trying to create another sovereign nation called the Palestinians. Here's the problem with that. They're a terrorist organization sponsored by Iran, the most prolific uh, sponsor of terrorism in the world, and that is their backing. The whole concept is not all Palestinians are terrorists. Please hear me. But the leadership is. The leadership are about to the destruction of Israel. The leadership of the Palestinian state does not even they do not even recognize Israel's true existence. So how can you have a two-state solution when one state does not even recognize the validity of the existence of the other state? How can you have a two-state existence when the only sanity that you have in the Middle East is the, is the Israelis themselves themselves? When you have a a berserk world that wants to destroy Israel, wants to take on anybody that, quote, is an infidel, anybody that does not believe in Allah, anybody that will not buy into the Quran or Sharia law. The land belongs to God. And the land has been given to Israel. It's interesting that the final scene in human history is the entire world focusing on that one small piece of property on the Gulf of the Mediterranean Sea. And they will be gathered together in that place for final destruction. Zechariah chapter 12 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness To all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Israel is an impossible geopolitical dynamic for our world. There is no simple solution to the issues of the Middle East crises, I am very grateful that this past year our president had the wisdom to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to the capital of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. It's been too heavy a stone, an impossible political situation for our world. The Muslim world want... East Jerusalem as their capital, it's not going to happen. Benjamin Netanyahu has made the statement that Jerusalem is the eternal, indivisible capital of Israel, period. And when I look at the word of God, I have to say amen. Thirdly, there's this thing called four blood moons. Have any of you ever heard of anything about these blood moons? I'm not going to get into a lot of stuff, but this really did capture my attention. Verse 31 of Joel says, And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That great and awesome day of the Lord is the Lord's return. This is a day when God not only comes to take his church out, as we talked about that last week, but this is the day that God comes to bring judgment on a wicked world that, that has done every kind of horrible deed against Israel and him himself. It's interesting that these blood moons, it's it's four lunar eclipses in a given period of time. In 1949 and 1950, we had four of them. And they all occurred on Jewish high holidays, ironically. Just a coincidence, is it? And what happened in 1948, the rebirth of Israel? In 1967, following the Six-Day War, Israel reclaimed Jerusalem as her capital. And in 1967 and 68, there were four blood moons on Jewish holidays. On April 15, 2014, Passover, there was a total lunar eclipse, it would be the first of four consecutive total eclipses in a series known as a tetrad. A second one took place on October 8, 2014, the Feast of Tabernacle. The third on April 4, 2015, on Passover. And the remaining one took place on September 27, 2015, the Feast of Trumpets. What does that say, Pastor? Well, let me share this with you. Before 1949 and 50, it had been 500 years since the last four lunar blood moons occurred. And since 2015, it will be another 500 years before that occurs again. And what Joel was telling us is that when these things happen, events that are occurring... And he lists those events. We're living in the only time in human history, in the history of Israel, that we're seeing all of these things happening, the people of Israel gathering together from all the tribes of the world, Israel born in one day, Israel gaining back its capital, Jerusalem in 1967. And I think the very next thing that's going to occur will be the temple being rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem. I don't know how that works for you, but I kind of see that as maybe, maybe a billboard in heaven saying, look up. Amen. Amen? The fourth thing is a worldwide anti-Semitism and hatred of Israel by a world and the United Nations. We don't have to look too far to know that's already there. Joel 3.2 says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, my people, my heritage, my people. Do you, do you capture this? There's a level of anti-Semitism right now that is rivaling the early 1930s. He says when he gathers Israel, he's going to judge the nations. When he brings them back, judgment isn't too far away. I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm telling you as a believer, I'm excited about this. This is fun to me. God is going to come and take us to a place far better than this. And I live in the most beautiful part of the world. Hello? Hello? And what he has in store for us is even greater. Jesus said in Luke 21, And they and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all Je- nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trampled under the feet of the Gentiles. In 1967, Jerusalem came back into the control of the Jews. It is no longer under Gentile domination. It is now ruled and ran by Jews themselves. It is God's timepiece. I I don't know. You just sit there looking at me. You ought to get excited about this stuff, folks. It's, it's an amazing thing. In Luke 21, 32, says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. He's saying that there is going to come a generation when these things happen, and it's not just going to be a coincidence. It's not just going to be an earthquake here. It's not just going to be a, a thing there. It's not going to be a war. No, it's when all of these things happen, when all of these things occur, that generation is going to be at a very unique moment when Jesus himself, will come back, and I've got to tell you this. Nation of Israel came in this generation. Can I tell you something? It's a secret, but it's not a secret. I was born in 1948. (laughs) Israel and I are both 70 years old. Actually, Israel's 71. I'm going to be 71, and I'm just as vigorous now as I was. Israel was born, and it says and this generation... Israel coming back together, Jerusalem becoming the capital of that nation. It happened in 1967. These signs, these are significant prophetic dynamics that God said when these things occur in this generation. What's a generation? How long is a generation? Psalms 90, verse 10 says, the days of our lives are 70 years. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) And by reason of strength, they are 80 years. I don't know when Jesus is coming. I'm not setting a date on when Jesus is coming. I'm just simply saying, you better be ready when Jesus is coming. (laughs) Hallelujah. Second point. That was all my first point almost introduction. (laughs) Israel's tipping point. What's about to happen? How many of you know that we live in a stinking, corrupt, horrible world right now? I don't want to reiterate last Sunday's message. But we're living in one of the most perverse times in human history. But what's following these perverse moments would give anybody pause. In Israel's future, there's what's called the Gog-Magog world, war. What in the world's that? And I'm not going to get into a huge diatribe on it. I'm going to give you the, the high points of this. There are actually two wars, and one has already begun. I call it the Psalms 83 war, the regional war between Israel and her neighbors. That's been going on forever, especially since 1948. It started the day after they began as a nation. That particular war is going to culminate when Syria and Damascus have been totally obliterated. You know what that's saying? God is going to say, I'm going to put up with this tolerance so long. I'm only going to tolerate so much of this nonsense, and then I'm going to personally come down. I'm going to handle this. May I I remind you, you don't want to hear God say, don't make me come down there. (laughs) You you all understand, this this is really what he's saying. But there's an even greater event than this event that we would call Psalms 83 war. Ezekiel 38 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Let me, let me give you definition. That's Russia. You know, I, I would I'm glad I live in the United States because God says, I'm against Russia. He's not against people, but he's against totalitarian leadership. He's against an atheist, atheistic communism that would destroy, hurt, hinder, and enslave people. Amen. And he would be against the United States if we so acted in the same way. Amen. I, will put, I will turn you around. Put hooks into your jaw. That, that, that's a very visual image. I look at that, I'm a, I'm a fisherman, I'm thinking a hook and it's not the same thing. If you had a donkey, how many of you have been around donkeys, mules, and horses? And they'd get stubborn. You ever been around them? And what they would do with a stubborn, surly donkey was that they'd get a stick with a hook end on it and they'd put it in its jaw and they'd jerk that thing and it would go exactly where they wanted it to go. And this is what God is saying I will put a hook in the jaw of Russia and I'm going to bring them down. Listen to it. Into the jaw and lead you out you, with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed in great com- a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them, uh, all of them handling swords. In other words, I'm going to take this mighty powerful army and military might, and I'm going to bring them into a place where they will be utterly destroyed. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, and all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, and the house of Togomar from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Who are those people? All of those people are the Muslim world that we know that circumvents and circumferences Israel today. All of the former Soviet Union, all of those in the underbelly of what we would know as a Soviet Union, all of those countries that end in Stan, all of them are Islamic peoples. Turkey, to Gomorrah, Libya, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, Libya, speaking specifically of North Africa, speaking of the Saudi Gulf. It's talking about an Arab world. Now I want you to hear this. This was written... John was given this revelation 700 years before Islam would come into being. It was in the 7th century that the Muslim world began. God knew in the beginning what he was doing. And he knew that there would be this massive group of people that would thrive for the destruction of Israel. And God in his timing, again, you can tell the future if you hold it. And God knows the future, and He's telling us what He's doing, and we're seeing it happen. I remember in 1973 or 74, my brother-in-law and I were in Israel. We were sitting up on the Mount of Olives, and I remember he was reading out of the out of Revelation, where there would be a hundred million man army coming out of the east. And he said, "That must be China." And I looked at him because I'd just been dealing with a lot of Muslim people. I said, "Well, what if they're Muslims?" He said, what do you mean? I said, look around you. At that time, there were 33 million Muslims living in, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Saudi Arabia, on North Africa. I said, Boyd, what happens if that's a Muslim uprising? At that point in time, it wasn't. There wasn't much. Oh, there was a little bit of a rattling of a saber. Yes, there had been the 67 war. And we were at the very end of the October war, the Um Kippur war, in April of 74. And I look at it today with all of the rising of Islamic jihadists. I'm convinced that God, in his providential understanding knew that this is exactly what was going to happen. Powerful, isn't it? And what's going to accumulate after that? It's going to be the Armageddon. The beginning is being set up even right now. Without going into all of those things, I just want you to understand that God knows what he's doing. What Ezekiel described was the current Islamic world surrounding Israel. How is Russia going to be drawn into this war? I remember in 1981 when Israel bombed one of Saddam Hussein's nuclear reactors because they did not want Saddam, or excuse me, yeah, uh, he did not want them to, to gain a nuclear advantage. We just heard this week that Iran fired an intercontinental ballistic missile. They have missiles that can come from Beirut, uh, excuse me, from Tehran to Jerusalem. The technology is already there, and they're, they're working feverishly to gain a nuclear warhead. Israel will once again defend itself. Under the Obama administration in 2014, Israel was prepared to bomb Iranian nuclear facilities. His administration told Netanyahu that if you did that, I would, he would shoot their planes out of the air. And under that administration, Israeli-U.S. relationships have been strained and were strained almost to the point of breaking. I'm grateful that we have a new geopolitical climate within our administration in Israel today. Israel has to defend itself. It has no option. I remember being in Safad, northern Israel, the mayor of the the kibbutz that we were staying. I asked him, I said, why is it that Israel is a first-strike nation? He said, we have no option. We are surrounded by millions of Muslims that hate us, and we cannot live in the Mediterranean. We fight because it's survival. We have no option." Russia will be drawn into this war because Israel will finally have enough and say, that's it. And they will bomb Iran. And when they do, Russia is already on notice. It's already stated that if Israel intervenes, if Israel will bomb Iran, Russia will invade. Here's the good news. Isn't it fun when you know the map? <laughs> Israel will not have to fire one shot to defend itself. Russia will be drawn down into that region, and it will take seven months to clean up the mess and bury the dead. One angel could kill 100,000 Midianites. One angel. Pastor, you, do you believe that? I believe everything in this book. I believe when I watched Mount St. Helens erupt in 1980, I sat there and watched that massive thing explode, and I'm thinking, it's almost like God is saying, do I have your attention? It would take nothing for God to do that. God knows exactly how to take care of that kind of a situation. Now, let me tell you the good news. We're not here when it happens. That was the most anemic. (laughs) Pastor, hallelujah. From what I can read in Scripture and everything I can understand about the last days, he's taking his remnant, his church, out before he pours Judgment upon. That's good news. Let me wrap this up quick. There will be a seven year covenant signed between Israel and the world leader that will emerge. When the rapture happens, it's going to begin what's called a seven year period of tribulation. Midway in that period of time, is is going to be a juncture point, and following the last three and a half years is going to be the worst part of it. First three and a half years will be the emergence of a world leader. There will also be a religious leader that will rise up, and in that period of time, Israel will rebuild the temple on Temple Mount. And it's interesting because what archaeologists have found here of late is that they can rebuild the temple on Temple Mount and not have to take down... Mosch Galaxa or the Dome of the Rock because they're not sitting on the exact site of the old temple. God has it all figured out. Isn't it just a coincidence that that just happened? And and, and he's going to allow the reestablishment. Now, here's the cool thing. To me, it's really cool is because the Jews have been preparing for this moment for a long time. It it to me is a, it's, it's overwhelming how he's allowing the, the them to come back into this this land and into this place and having the the nation and having Jerusalem, he's also going to allow them to have the temple, and in that temple it, they're going they're, there's already there's already a a, a, a temple, um, forgive me my brain just had one of those moments. But, but there's a group of people in Israel where they have created all of the garments, all of the, all of the, the, the instruments, all of the, 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 the things that go into the temple. They, they already are in the process of prefabbing much of that, that, that when this three and a half, first three and a half year happens, within 18 months, they can reestablish, rebuild, and re-resurrect or erect, if you will, the temple. They will be given the opportunity for sacrifice that's been denied them for two millennium. But halfway through that period of time. This Antichrist is going to set himself up as God, and there will be an image of him in the temple. It's called the, the, the desolation of abomination in Daniel. It's called that in Matthew. It's called that in Revelation. And this is going to culminate at this point in time in the history of Israel. L- let, me, let me just finish this with this. We live at the tipping point, and the answer isn't Political. It's not government's. It's Jesus Christ alone's return. There's no government that's going to change the tipping point of our world. That doesn't mean that we sit back and we just take it. I think we have to be vocal when we can. We vote where we need to. We do our part because we're here. We have to respond. We have to deal with that. But understand this. It doesn't matter who's put into presidency. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter. The only answer for our world today is Jesus Christ coming back. And all of God's people can say amen or oh me, one of the two. Amen. Well, I've given you a huge portion of eschatology in the last few minutes. But what I'm trying to share with you, and I hope you hear this, this is not a dire message. This is just reality. Reality but it's a statement, look up. Yes. Amen? Isn't it good? Yes. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. Listen to him. Listen to his word. Don't worry about all of the negatives that are happening in our world. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't ignore them. It's just simply don't let them get into your system, because I've got news for you. You can't predict the future if you don't control the future. Our God knows the future. And he is controlling the future. And he's given us the book that tells us what's coming. And, folks, we're there. And he is coming. And we have the promise of this. Comfort you one another with these words. John, I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven, but I think there are 300-pound fish out there. That we can catch. I I don't know. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is that as wonderful as it is now, keep a loose grip on this world because what's coming is far better. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the promise of your word and so much stuff that we've looked at this morning. and more than we really have the capacity to fully understand in these few moments. But, Lord, you have, you have uniquely given to us the Word of God that so specifically tells us of things that are going to happen. And it's not a coincidence. It's not chance. It's planned. You knew the end before the beginning began. You had everything in store for us to know you. You knew the failure and the flaws that would happen in the heart of human lives. And you had a remedy for that through Jesus Christ. And you gave us that remedy. You've given us the word. It's a great word. We have... We have Jesus as a Savior. We have the promise of your book. And we have, Father, the the power of your Holy Spirit that guides us, lives with us, directs us, strengthens us, comforts us, guides us. Oh, we need him more. And, Father, these are promises that have not only been given, but promises that have been fulfilled to all of us. Jesus, you said, no man comes to the Father but through the Son. And to all of us in this room, it behooves us to understand our salvation is sure only in Jesus Christ. It's not to live in fear, and it's not to live in dread, but it's to live with confidence that we have invited you as our Savior, our Lord, to guide us, to be with us, to govern us, to to help us, to comfort us. But, Lord, we're listening and looking forward to a day when you will gather us together. And my prayer, Father, is that none of us in this room will be missing from that moment. Pastor, I'm not sure that I'd be ready to meet him. You're here this morning not because. Somebody called or asked you to be here. Maybe they did, but you're here this morning because God allowed you to come, directed your steps, because he cares about you and he loves you. He's given us this book about these days in which we live because there are more people alive right now than have ever lived and died in all of human history. And you care about every single one of them. You said, I would that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. And Jesus made it so simple. If I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified, buried, and resurrected, that I would have eternal life. It's a simple step. If you're here this morning and you haven't made that, please hear my heart. He's given you an opportunity today to simply, simply say, Jesus, I need you. I accept you. I want you as my Lord and Savior. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if that's you this morning, would you just simply respond by lifting a hand and saying? Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Several hands across this room this morning. I'd like you to all pray a simple prayer with me. For many, it's just a reaffirmation of our faith. For some, it may be the beginning of a brand new walk in Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And and if you need prayer, we want you to come. And we want to take time to pray with you. But right now, I want everybody to pray this prayer. I'm going to say it, but you make it your own personally. Lord Jesus, I need you. I confess you as my Lord. I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Become not only my Savior, but Lord, I want to be dependent upon you. I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I give you that right, right now. I ask this all in Jesus' name. And everybody can say amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come. And as they come, I want you to lift your hands as we speak the blessing over you. And then if you have a need, I want you just to join us. If maybe this is a confirmation of something you've just done this morning. You made that commitment to Jesus. Come and let them pray with you specifically. Would you do that? Father, I speak your blessing over every man, woman, and child in this room. That, Father, you will bless them and that you will keep them. That you, Father, will sustain them and strengthen them. I thank you, Father, that you've given us your word, a holy, wonderful, powerful word with promise and an everlasting covenant. Bless us, keep us, make your very presence be radiated upon us, manifest yourself to us as we ask it in Jesus' glorious name. And all of God's people can say...